Please turn with me to page 1063 in our Pew Bibles and our Bible reading from John's Gospel, chapter 1, which we've been reading these weeks in anticipation of Christmas. We're going to look specifically at verses 14 through to 18 this morning, but by way of lead-in, I'm going to read from verse 9. John's Gospel, chapter 1, page 1063, verse 9. The true light that gives light to every person was coming into the world. He was in the world, and although the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, To those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. And we pray that God will add his blessing to this reading from his holy word. Well, good morning, everyone. And if you would uh, like to turn back to John chapter 1, we're going to be looking today at verses uh, 14 through to 18. Let's pray uh, together as we come to God's Word and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father God, we have been thinking already of the amazing miracle of God the Son's coming to us as a baby. We thank you for those great precious truths. We thank you for the one who is far better than Santa, the one who is your gift to us. And Father, as we think further about these things, we pray that you would be our teacher by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would uh, draw our our minds and our hearts towards you, help us to uh, be attentive to your word and to receive it with humility and with faith, that we might grow in our love and in our hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Human beings are copycats. A little bit like moths that are attracted to the light. Human beings are attracted to glory. We, we enjoy it, we long to look at it, and we want to share in it for ourselves. And so we copy it 
Uh, if we're young, we maybe put up posters in our bedroom. Uh, when I was younger, I had a poster of an Ipswich Town striker on my bedroom wall. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. <laughs> um, or maybe, maybe you follow people on Instagram uh, because you, you, you like the way they see the world or you like the way they look. Uh, or maybe you have Ideal Home magazine tucked away in your bathroom. I won't ask how many people have got that hidden away in their toilet. But whether we get our inspiration from Instagram or Ideal Home or the 1981 UEFA Cup-winning exploits of Ipswich Town Football Club, <laughs> we also recognize that even our idols don't have it all. They're copycats too, aren't they, at the end of the day? They have their limits. And so they're chasing glory themselves. And Ipswich Town, I'm afraid, still are very much chasing glory. Well, with that in mind, uh, have a look back at uh, chapter 1 of John's Gospel, verse 14. And in the middle of that verse, John the Evangelist says this. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, or, or more literally in the footnote, the glory of the only begotten Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is talking about Jesus Christ, uh, but he, he calls him here the Word. And two weeks ago, we, we, we saw the kind of the pre-existence of this one who is the Word. We saw that he is the eternal Word of God. He's everything that God is. He's eternal, he's unchanging, he's good, he's the fountain of all life and everything that is. That's the Word. And this week, John says, if you want to see true glory unlimited glory here in our world. This is where you can find it, here in this person. I said a couple of weeks ago as well that this year marks the uh, 50th anniversary of the Apollo 8 mission to the moon, perhaps one of the most glorious human achievements to date, I think. But listen to the testimony of Jim Irwin, who was the eighth man to walk on the moon. He says this, he said, the entire space achievement is put in proper perspective when one realizes that God walking on the earth is more important than man walking on the moon. God walking on the earth is more important than man walking on the moon. Whatever the glory of putting a man on the moon, and it was an amazing feat, wasn't it? And whatever the glory of other human achievements since, this astronaut, Jim Irwin, says that that glory is as nothing to the glory that the gospel writers point us to. The glory of God, the infinite, uncreated glory of God being seen in our world. So if we want to see true, unlimited glory, this is where we can find it. Not in a football field in Madrid or Barcelona. Not uh, on a stage in Los Angeles. But in the fields of Bethlehem. Now we've got to admit, this is a difficult claim, isn't it? How could the infinite God, who's the sum and the source of all existence, how could he ever be seen with our human eyes? How could we ever see his glory? And John recognizes this, doesn't he? Did you pick this up in the reading? Verse 18, he says, no one has ever seen God. It's simply not possible for us to see God with our physical eyes. 
And yet, John insists, we have seen his glory. Not a human glory, the glory of the only begotten Son who came from the Father. So our question really this morning is, how can God's glory, God's infinite, eternal glory, really be seen in our world? Raises three questions. How can this be possible? How is it credible? And thirdly, what difference does it make? So we're going to walk through these verses this morning, and we're going to see how John answers each of these three questions in turn. How can it be possible? How is it credible? And what difference does it make? So firstly then, how can it be possible? Well, we need to go back to the start of verse 14, and those, th- those famous words, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is the foundation for how God's glory can be seen with human eyes. The word became flesh. The the term theologians use that you'll hear around the place uh, is incarnation. This is what this verse is describing. That's from a Latin word, um, but it's quite simple. Flesh uh, is is carne, like like a carnivore is a flesh-eating animal. Well, the incarnation just literally means infleshment. And it's literally just summarizing this verse, isn't it? The word became flesh. He infleshed himself among us. He became incarnate. This verse is saying that God the word became human. And that is the foundation for God's uncreated glory being seen in our world. Now, this is really hard to get our heads around. And so over the years, it's been very tempting to to sort of try to to dumb it down or to trivialize it in some way, to make it easier to to understand. And I think there's two big ways that we can tend to do this. The first way is we can sort of read this verse as though it's saying that God changes into a human being, uh, like a kind of a metamorphosis, like a caterpillar changes into a butterfly. Well, so you can kind of imagine God kind of leaving heaven and turning into a human being inside Mary's womb. But John says that's wrong. That can't be right. Because he says the Word became flesh, and the Word dwelt among us. And it is the glory of the eternal Word of God, the only Son from the Father, that we have seen. See, he didn't give up being God in order to become human. It's not that kind of a change. Well, that's one way we can can kind of try to dumb this down. The other way is by sort of saying, well, maybe there wasn't really much of a change at all. Maybe God only sort of pretended to be a human being. You sort of looked at him, and he appeared as though he was a human being on the outside, but it was kind of just like skin. And, And inside, he was really just God all along kind of like um, the member of the congregation who will remain nameless, who was at Dad's and Tots the other day, who put on a Santa costume and uh, was very friendly to all the kids um, and said Merry Christmas. But he wasn't really Santa. That particular one wasn't really Santa anyway. Um, he, he was just pretending. And maybe that's what, what happened at Christmas. God puts on human skin and, and says Merry Christmas, everyone. But he hasn't really changed. Nothing's really happened. But again, John says that's not right either. The truth is more amazing than that. He uses this very striking pair of words. He says the word became flesh. 
without stopping being the eternal word of God, the word of God really did take a human nature uh, and made it his own all the way down to having human body parts. The word became flesh. His humanity is just as truly his as his deity is. The word became flesh. It's amazing the technology that we have now to be able to see inside a womb. Um, And if we were able to do ultrasound on our Lord's mother at the time, we'd have been able to hear a human heartbeat in Mary's womb. We'd have been able to see human movements. And if we'd had a really good scanner, we'd be able to detect human brain functioning. But the key thing to know is that those human heartbeats were the heartbeats of God the Word. Those human movements were the movements of the eternal Son of God. That human brain functioning was the human brain functioning of the one who was the eternal Word of God. Ultimately, we can't explain this. And that's the point. The more we understand it, the more astonishing, the more awesome we realize this is. The Word became flesh. God born of a virgin. God dwelling among us. God walking on the earth. And that is the foundation for God's glory being seen by us. Well, it's fair to ask, with all of that uh, amazing uh, sort of thoughts that John is John is suggesting to us, it's fair to ask, well, did that actually happen? How can we believe that that's happened? How can we believe that it really was God who was born at that first Christmas? How is it credible that God's glory really was seen in Jesus Christ? Well, moving on then to our second question, how is it credible? John says, well, I can only tell you what we know. And John says, we have seen his glory. Who was it that he's talking about? Well, I think the we there that he's talking about, I take it that's the apostles mainly. The people who were with Jesus, who saw him uh, day in, day out during his ministry. Uh, But John says as well, as if that's not enough, verse 15, he points us back again to John the Baptist, who we heard about last week, this celebrated holy man. And he says, John the Baptist, who all of you recognize, is a great figure. He also recognized that Jesus was not just an ordinary human being, but God in the flesh. It's worth, I think, taking a step back for a minute to just recognize how extraordinary this is. If we'd be reading this sort of stuff and it was coming from the Greek world um, or kind of another pagan world, it wouldn't be that unusual because they had a sense that uh, God could be kind of diluted and you could have kind of levels of godness. And so it wouldn't be that unusual for kind of a god to become a human being in that kind of a way. But the people who are making this claim are Jewish people, steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. And we know from reading our Old Testaments that there is no comparison, really, between God and this world. God says, there is no one like me. I am who I am, as we've been hearing in Exodus. They weren't prone to kind of mingling God and and human beings up like that. And so it's amazing that these Jewish people pointed at this man 
and they said, we have seen God's eternal glory in him. Well, how did they come to that conclusion? How did they recognize that this glory wasn't just the glory of another copycat, of another person chasing glory, but was, in fact, the eternal glory of God? I don't think there was a halo, right? We have all those pictures of Jesus with a halo, but I don't think there would have been anything visible sort of saying, you know, this guy is God. It didn't work just like that. So how did they see his glory? Well, let's take an example from later on in John's Gospel. In John chapter 11, uh, the evangelist describes how Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Many of us know the story. And It's important for us to realize, after the incarnation, Jesus does everything as the incarnate God-man, the one who is God and man. He does everything as this one person. And this event of raising Lazarus shows us, I think, how that works. So Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead by calling to him. He said, Lazarus, come out. And that voice was a human voice. It was produced by human lungs and a human mind. But that same voice belonged to none other than the eternal word of God. And so when that voice came, it came with God's authority. It came with creative, death-shattering power. And it had to be obeyed. And so Lazarus came out. And the people saw the glory of God. The glory of the eternal word of God really echoed in our world as Jesus made that dramatic cry come out through his human voice. Let's take another example. Uh, When Jesus died, uh, right before he died, he cried out, it is finished. And then we're told that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, Jesus died as a man, obviously. God can't die. But he didn't die as an ordinary man. He died as only the God-man could. It's not as though God kind of abandoned him to die. No, Jesus died in full control of what he was doing, giving up his spirit when he chose to. And he died after he had completed the task that he was given, a task that only the one who is God and man could fulfill, the task of bearing our sin and making a sacrifice for it. And so he died saying, it is finished. And so the glory of the eternal word of God echoed too through his dying cry. And John, I think, is summarizing these and many other episodes when he says, we have seen his glory. As we saw these human acts, we recognized that they could only come from the one who is both God and man in one person. One commentator puts it like this. The apostles saw the very brilliance of the word through his bodily presence. And this is how God's infinite uncreated glory really was seen in our world. The human nature that belonged to the Son of God did things only God can do. 
and it was seen by fishermen, religious teachers, holy men and loose women, blind beggars and army officers in Galilee and Judea 2,000 years ago. And it didn't stop there, did it? It rippled out. People continue to experience this glory of God, this this life-changing word who came in the flesh. And we can still see it today. As we read these stories, we encounter that voice that echoed through the world with uncreated glory. We, we We read our New Testament, we read John's Gospel, and we encounter the glory of God in these human words. And that's why we want to spend the next few months as a church in the new year going through the first half of John's Gospel to to see that glory for ourselves again. It's why we're inviting everyone to take part in reading through the whole New Testament, if you can, over the first few months of the year, to, to get a grasp of what it was people saw and wrote down as they experienced this glory of God and passed it on to us. So we've seen how it's possible and how it's credible that God's glory was really encountered in our world. But let's explore this uh, a little bit further. If it is the case that God's glory has been seen in the flesh, what should our attitude to that be? How should we respond? Well, John shows us in verse 16. He says, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. We have all received. Think of a glass of champagne uh, filled to the brim. That's a bit like Christ's humanity. Because he is as, as closely united to God as it's possible to be, he's full to the brim of these wonderful qualities of grace and truth. Uh, Later on, John says that Jesus had the Spirit without limit. He truly has it all. But now keep pouring, keep pouring, because Jesus is always united to God. Keep pouring, and the champagne starts to overflow, and you've got one of those towers of champagne glasses, and the champagne overflows to the glasses underneath it. And that's how it is with Christ. Because from the very moment of his conception, he was as closely united to God as it is possible to be in his humanity. He doesn't need to be a copycat. He doesn't need to chase glory. He's got it. Full to the brim, overflowing. And so he can give it. And so Jesus doesn't first of all call us to become copycats if we want to share in his glory. He calls us to become recipients. People who are going to receive his glory, his overflowing glory. When we place ourselves under him, grace and truth spills over from him to us as he shares the blessings of the Holy Spirit with us. Now, we don't have time this morning to look closely at what these blessings are, but I'll just very briefly mention them so that we can recognize them. Uh, There are two, and the first one is forgiveness of sins. Have a look at verse 17. John says, For the law was given through Moses. And I take it that the law could only ultimately condemn us by showing us how we break God's law because we turn away from him. 
But, John says, the law was given from Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Because he is God and man in one person, Jesus is able to take away our condemnation by bearing our sin in our place. But then secondly, the other blessing comes in verse 18. Fatherly knowledge of God. John says, No one has ever seen God, but God the only begotten, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. When Jesus was born, the Son of God really was born in our world. The eternal word who comes from the Father. And it's as though all through his life, Jesus is kind of walking backwards, if you like, pointing us to the one from whom he comes, showing us what it looks like to be the eternal son of the Father. And so we get to know God as the son knows him, full of grace and full of truth. That is unlimited glory. And that is glory that is available to us. John says, from his fullness, we've all received one blessing after another. So friends, as we look forward to celebrating Christmas again this year, let's remember that there is no one here who cannot benefit from Jesus this morning. Whether we've always been the best in class or whether we count ourselves as the worst of sinners, whether we're aspiring astronauts or down and out, whether we've been Christians for a long time or wouldn't call ourselves really religious at all. Whatever our achievements or our failures, when we stand next to Jesus, we all recognize that we can gain something from coming under him. We all become receivers and we all can be receivers if we put our trust in him and receive from him as our Lord and Savior. So this Christmas, John says to us, open your mouth. Receive from the fullness of the incarnate God-made flesh. Receive forgiveness of sins. Enjoy fatherly knowledge of God from the incarnate Son of God. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father, God walking on the earth. It's possible because God really did become a human being, full of grace and truth. It's credible because his glory was seen. It was recognized by people who had no right to be, to be coming up with these ideas. It's changed people as they've shared in this grace and, its, and this truth. And friends, it is available for anyone who wants to receive it. So this Christmas, will you come and receive from the fullness of the word made flesh. Place yourself under him. Receive from him as the wonderful, infinitely glorious Lord and Saviour that he is. And so through him and with him be praise and authority to the Father with the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we 
confess, again, our weakness as we try to uh, think about these wonderful things. But perhaps most of all, Lord, many of us will want to say thank you this morning. Thank you for this wonderful gift of your own eternal Son coming to us in time, taking on our nature to live among us and to show us true glory, to show us unlimited glory, and even to share it with us. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is full of grace and truth. And our Father, we worship and praise you for these great mysteries that you've shown to us and the great gift that you've offered us of your own Son born for us. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we pray for this world in its earthiness and need. Gracious Lord, we do pray for this planet, full of haves and have-nots, for those who exploit and those who are exploited, for the people for whom this season is a time of joy and excess, and for others for whom it is trouble, poverty, and suffering. And today we bring before you especially the people of Indonesia after the tsunami hit without warning, and also for the ongoing migrant crisis in the Mediterranean. Gracious Lord, you did not remain aloof and far away from this planet in all its sorrows and deprivation, but in Christ Jesus you took on flesh and lived among us, not to condemn but to redeem. Help us see, Heavenly Father, how we may also live on this planet not contributing to its pain, but to its healing. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Gracious Lord, we dare not take your abundant blessings for granted, for life and health and strength, for food and family, for friendship, for fellowship among God's people here and throughout the world. This Christmas time enable us to overflow from out of His glory, spilling out, forgiving as we have been forgiven, showing kindness because You have been kind to us. Help us to be kind, not just with our gifts, but with our words, with our time, with our thoughtfulness, with our witness. From the fullness of His grace, we have received one blessing after another. And grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you that in the Lord and Savior, we do not have one who is compassionate but lacking in morality. 
nor do we have one who is hard and rigid and yet morally pure. Rather, one who is both full of grace and truth. One who beautifully combines loveliness and righteousness. How we long to be like our Savior. How we long for a world that embraces both values in a way we do politics, in the way we do business, in the way we are entertained. Heavenly Father, thank you that in Christ Jesus we see the perfect human being pointing us to that day when all sorrow will be gone, all wrongs put right, all that is negative undone, and we will see you face to face. And these are prayers we make in the name and for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was full of grace and truth, and for his glory. Amen.